Welcome to episode 108 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we're looking at just a general recap and combination of the entirety of season four and look back at that season, what came out of it, how it contributed to the larger mythos, and what else was going on with it. So it was a 24-episode season, bringing the total number of episodes for the series to date up to 97. The season premiere of Heronvolk aired on October 4th, 1996, and this was the one that introduced the clones of Samantha and others, expanded on the alien bounty hunter, and so forth. Episode 2 was Home, which didn't have a lot to contribute to the larger mythos, but is a very memorable episode because of the inbred family and just how disturbing it is that actually got it blacklisted from being broadcast in reruns on Fox. The third episode, Teleco, involved creatures from an African folktale and some disappearing black men in the Philadelphia area. Episode 4 and Ruhei was about a kidnapper who didn't realize he was projecting his thoughts onto film. Episode 5 was The Field Where I Died, which is one where Mulder and Scully investigate a cult and end up getting drawn in to what may be connections to past lives. Although there's issues with timelines and continuity with that interpretation. Sanguinarium was about some patients who were dying as a result of witchcraft committed by one of the doctors in the cosmetic surgery institution. Episode 7, Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man, laid out a possible backstory for the Cancer Man. Episodes 8 and 9 were Tunguska and Terma, which introduced the black oil, the vaccine, the Russian involvement in the international conspiracy, and gets Krychek involved once again. Episode 10, Paper Hearts, ends up with a connection between Mulder and an incarcerated serial killer that at first seems to connect to Mulder's sister, but we ultimately learn doesn't. Episode 11, Il Mundo Gira, was about Chupacabra and its impact on some migrant workers. The halfway point of the season was episode 12, Leonard Betts, about a cancer-eating mutant which revealed that Scully herself had cancer. Now, episode 13, Never Again, had the guest voice of Jodie Foster as something that was living in a tattoo while Scully dealt with her diagnosis. Episode 14, Memento Marie, is where Scully starts to take a healthier tack at dealing with this, and Mulder and the lone gunman try to break into a facility that may have a cure for her. Episode 15, Kaddish, is about a golem and some deaths in the Jewish community. Episode 16, Unrequited, is about a Vietnam vet who can make himself disappear and starts trying to exact revenge. And is another case where we learn that the government may not always be on the up and up. Episodes 17 and 18 were the two-parter, Tempest Fugit and Max, where we get reintroduced to Max Fennig, who we first saw in season one, and learn some more about the alien conspiracy. Episode 19, Synchrony, is about an old man killing scientists, and it turns out he is one of the scientists come back to prevent the future that they created. Episode 20, Small Potatoes, was somehow a comedic take on rape, where a shapeshifter is able to impregnate several women in this town with babies that have tails. Episode 21, Zero Sum, shows the fallout of Skinner making a deal with the Cancer Man to try and help Scully and find the cure for her cancer. He ends up destroying evidence at crime scenes, which ultimately implicates him in the crimes. Episode 22, Elegy, is where people start seeing images that predict their deaths. Episode 23, Demons, is one where Mulder takes part in very experimental hypnotherapy and ends up as the prime suspect 
in A Pair of Murders. And finally, episode 24, Gethsemane, is where Mulder is finding himself questioning everything that he thought he believed about alien abductions and alien arrivals when he's shown some pretty compelling evidence that the whole thing is a government conspiracy, which ultimately appears to lead to his suicide while Scully tries to cope with her cancer and how her family is dealing with it. In terms of what was going on behind the scenes during this season, this was a fairly award-winning season. It actually won three Emmys. Gillian Anderson won for Lead Actress. It also won for Best Art Direction in Memento Mori and Best Sound Editing in Tempest Fugit. It was also nominated for Best Director for James Wong's work on Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man. It had two editing nominations for Terma and for Tempest Fugit, a makeup nomination for Leonard Betts, music for Paper Hearts, sound mixing for Tempest Fugit, writing for Memento Mori, lead actor for David Duchovny, as well as a nomination for Best Drama Series overall. At the Golden Globes, it won all three of its nominated categories, Best Drama, Best Actor, and Best Actress. Now also going on behind the scenes, David Duchovny and Taya Leone married between broadcasts of the last two episodes of the season after only having dated for eight weeks. Apparently it was pretty clear on set that the first date went well when David Duchovny came back and talked about having a wonderful date with a woman whose name is kind of like a drink, but not quite. Now, at this point, the first movie, Fight the Future, was already greenlit and scheduled to be released between seasons five and six, as we talked about earlier, since Chris Carter ended up writing that script over the Christmas break while producing this season. So the actual production filming took place between seasons four and five. Now, the movie was filmed in LA rather than Vancouver, as the show had been filmed in up to this point, which meant Fox had a little more control and oversight, but it also meant that some of the sets wouldn't be easy to use because they weren't terribly portable. It also means, from a storytelling standpoint, that for the first time, the major plot points of the season, in this case season five, were known before season began production, because it had to line up with the film. Now, Chris Carter knew what the big picture for the conspiracy would look like right from the start, or at least the conspiracy that we saw in the first seven seasons, but he was very flexible in terms of which information would be revealed in each of the seasons. In season four, he couldn't do that. So he had to hit that target of where the movie was going to start. This was also the last season to be filmed in the 4 by 3 aspect ratio, also known as the Academy Ratio, which was common on TVs and actually movies until about the early 1950s. Season 5 would be the first season of any major network TV to be filmed in HDTV resolution right from the start, even though it wouldn't be broadcast that way for a while. It was actually season 6 was the first to have any HDTV broadcasts And that was just over the airwaves with antennas. That was not over cable lines yet. And word out to the Babylon 5 fans. Yes, I know that Babylon 5 was already filming in the 16 by 9 ratio, but it was not being filmed in the HTTV resolution at this point, which is the main reason we still don't have Blu-ray releases for that series. And if you've seen the DVDs, you know that the visual effects shots were also produced at broadcast TV resolution at the time. So that was 4 by 3 and in TV broadcast quality, not... DVD quality, let alone HDTV, which is why there's issues in the full screen visual effects shots. Now, the 97 episode grand total here also meant that the series was very near the 100 episode mark, which was the magic number at the time to get into a syndication market. So, while some shows, such as Star Trek The Next Generation, were sold in syndication right from the start and could be aired on any network or station that bought them, for network shows, syndication usually meant that they had at least 100 episodes because then other stations would rerun the shows five days a week in a lot of different markets. 
So on the one hand, it is a sign that the show's been successful and it can become a major revenue stream, both for the production companies and for the actors and other crew members who get paid residuals for their work on the series for those reruns, depending on the contracts. Residuals weren't common until James Garner fought for that to be part of the standard actor's contract during his stint on the Rockford Files in the 70s. On the other hand, though, in this particular case, the way that the syndication was handled would lead to major changes in the show itself. But those changes are still a couple of years down the road, so we'll save that story for then. So in any event, that's all we have to say about Season 4 as a whole. Join us again next week when we look at Redux and Redux 2, the two-part season premiere for Season 5. Finally, thank you for listening.